I still think the slogan should be, well, or 12-year-old whiskey, taste the puberty. <laughs> taste the puberty. Yes, yes. As we said, you, you won't be pulling any curlies out of your mouth, but uh, they certainly went into the process. Um, and that brings us back to the Danger Zone podcast. This is the All Archer podcast all the time. Um, and we're back with a really interesting discussion today. We're talking about Ray Gillette. Now, as fans of the show know, Ray is famously voiced by Adam Reed himself. Uh, he is the other male field agent besides Sterling Archer, um, characterized by his blonde hair, his blonde mustache, and his homosexuality. Now, I would argue, David, that Ray Gillette is in fact not gay, but maybe asexual. Here's my evidence. Every other character on the show Archer is at one point or another caught on screen either in the act of coitus or post-coitally, except for Ray Gillette. Now explain that to me. Wait, is Ray in a wheelchair? At some point, Ray is in a wheelchair. In fact, Ray is sort of in and out of a wheelchair uh, for about three several, consecutive several seasons. Several seasons, yeah. Yes. Um, so that would, so the, 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 the waist down paralysis would at some point, uh, uh, help the case that, you know, maybe he just, he just can't, can't get there. Um, now at one point he does seem to purchase a Polynesian sex slave, but even then he only seems to have the boy, uh, doing his nails on a yacht that he and Lana Kane are driving to rescue Archer from Pirate well, Island. As you know, I've, I'm not familiar with the later seasons of Archer, so I can't really speculate, but it seems to me I would be disappointed to learn that any series that could give breast cancer to its male protagonist in, what was that, season two? Season, season two. three? Season two was placebo can't come up Can't come up with a sex scene for, for a gay character that's been there since the, day one. And the stage two, the famous so. stage two rampages. Right. Love that. <laughs> yes, that was your favorite episode, as I recall. Watching, I think they hit their peak. Watching Archer puke between beatings. I think they hit their peak in season two, and it's been downhill. So. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a fa fairly safe argument. Um. But uh, you know, I have to confess, we we aren't actually the uh, Danger Zone podcast, although I'm sure that does exist out there. It might be a it Kenny Loggins. It might be a it Kenny Loggins podcast. There's definitely an Archer podcast. Uh, yeah. But we are, in fact. The Dahlcrans. I'm your loyal host and dullard, uh, Gabriel Zuger, and we're in the Cran Box here at the uh, Bunker Ranch uh, in an undisclosed location uh, in the southwest of under the United States. Under an undisclosed location. Under, underneath, deep, deep underground. Uh, and I am joined uh, for the first time. So far under that we're not getting internet. This this is true. I mean that that was that was the choice that we made with the bunker. You know, uh, to be really. To be cut off, right? We want to be off the grid. Why right. else do you have a bunker? Absolutely. Um, but so I'm joined today by um, actual host of the bunker and um, and father of the pod, uh, David. David, how are you doing today? Good. Good, good, good. good. Very, very happy to have you on here. Happy to have um, another educator as uh, you, you did spend some time um, in your early adulthood teaching in the classroom, preschool, if I'm not mistaken. True, true. True. Um, but that's, you know, we, we didn't bring you on here for your education expertise, uh, more just your, your overall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we wouldn't do that to you. Um, but we, we do want you to uh, speak to a number of things. Would love for you to speak to your Wonderlick score, actually. Which was? I believe it was either... It was very disappointing. I believe it was either 27 or 28. Didn't qualify me for any NFL position, as I recall. Uh, so no, maybe no, 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 no. Uh, water boy. You're, you're, you're somewhere in the, in the ranks of the uh, linemen to skill players. You're, you're something in between, you know. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe a fullback in there, you know, somebody with some blocking experience. Maybe a tight end, you know. You're not a guard. Can't, can't handle center, but, you know. They'll, they'll let you they'll let you call some audibles um, okay but and uh, and your wife just took the test now this did was, she this was a modified and assisted version now would you be surprised to find out that your wife scored 
a 28 on the test. I mean, it was technically 14 out of 25 questions, but, you know, given, given the math heavy... Right, right, right. Yeah. Given the math heavy nature of it, I mean, I was blown away. Oh, you were expecting something lower? <laughs> Why well, is that? Well, because, because we've established that the, the test is not an actual test of intelligence. Otherwise, I'd expect her to get very high, but... It is, you know, a test about how to take tests, and she's not, yes, yes. She's not great at that sort of thing. Yes, that's true. Um, okay, so not shocked. Not really, because I'm, I have yet to figure out what it really, really, really measures. Well, and that's, and that's, my, that's in fact, my reason for bringing it up today, because uh, I think we were all shocked when you got a 28 yourself. Given that... Uh, and one of your co-hosts got somewhere in the high 30s, correct? Ju- uh, Willie got a 34, and Julian got a 43. <laughs> 43, right. Now, I was not there to administer the 43, so right. we're, we're not sure what the context of that was. I mean, we do trust right. that he, he did it in full faith. Um, but, right, but, but what we're saying is the spread between Willie and me, or Willie and Ellen, just can't possibly be that. Well, big. I'm just Therefore, saying, and, and also as somebody... I'm, apologies to Willie, but, you know... As somebody who, who Unless regularly... Unless really Stephen Hawking in disguise, right. I don't think. As somebody who can regularly answer every question on Jeopardy or Millionaire or like anything... those are anything, a measure of anything. Anything except for HQ, really, because we all right. know you can't, you can't right. pass question 10 on HQ. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. We were, I was shocked to, to see a 28 out of you. But anyway... Um, so having gotten the Wonderlick out of the way and, and the fact that we're all geniuses here on the show, geniuses of, you know, different, uh, creeds, colors, and backgrounds, uh, wanted to get into... I believe children are the future. <laughs> so it is said. So it is said. Wanted to get into the future of our children, actually, um, and wanted to, uh, you know, talk about how we, how we think this might impact their future as well as the future of our nation. So this is an article coming to us uh, from Vice, um, but it's, it's really from uh, coming from the Wall Street Journal via Vice. Parents are seriously hiring Fortnite tutors for their children now. Okay. Fortnite, for the few still blissfully unaware, is a wildly popular third-person shooter where everyone from preteens to Drake come together to slaughter goofily dressed avatars in a virtual realm. Basically, each game starts out with 100 players who whittle each other down Battle Royale style, until the last player or team standing in is crowned champion. There is also dancing. In fact, the dancing might be more popular than the game itself, David. You should know this. Everybody, every child under the age of 15 is learning how to dance from Fortnite. It's the only thing they know how to do is Fortnite dances. Okay. The game is so mercilessly addictive that people have started penning panicked screeds about their children's Fortnite addictions. But apparently not all parents are so bugged out about the screen time. Some just want to make sure their kids are winning. According to a new report from the Wall Street Journal, parents have started shelling out as much as $20 an hour to, play for- to pay Fortnite tutors to coach their kids how to better lay waste to Tilted Towers or whatever. Quote, there's pressure not just to play it, but to be really good at it, Allie Hicks told the Journal after paying around $50 for four hours of online Fortnite lessons for her 10-year-old son. Quote, you can imagine what that was like for him at school. New quote, I want them to excel at what they enjoy, Yuan Robertson, another parent who recently hired a Fortnite coach for his two tween boys, said. Plus, Robertson added, there's a safety benefit for his kids, uh, uh, safety benefit to his kids' Fortnite habit. They're not going to break a leg playing video games, he said, apparently unaware that the games can come with its own unique set of hazards. So anyway, this goes on to say that not only are parents paying $50 for four-hour lessons or $20 for hour lessons, but some parents even then imbibe of the lessons themselves mm-hmm. and choose mm-hmm. to share their new, newly acquired skills with their dad friends Whoa. and get mocked at home you, by their dads wives and Dads want to be cool dads and moms want to be cool moms. I mean, of course, of course. That's, that goes without saying. I totally understand. But what are, you, what are you buying about these arguments? What are you buying and what are you selling well, about these arguments? Well, let's look. Look. Uh, American parents are, are very weird. But um, this is not a new weirdness. This is just part of an old weirdness, which is... Yes. Children must be, must be engaged in activities constantly. Yes, absolutely. Those activities are often competitive. Right. And parents have become incredibly competitive about 
how competitive their children are. So you're saying part so of it is keeping up soccer, with the Joneses. Part of it is keeping busy. Part of it is keeping up with the no, Joneses. No, no. I'm saying it's a whole culture of competitiveness right. among kids, which is now the standard of how you are a suburban American parent. Right. That is how you do it. Right. There's no other, there's no other avenue. The only other avenue is to be a bum. Yeah. To be a bad parent. Mm-hmm. If you're a good parent, you have to be involved in these activities. Okay, mm-hmm. so soccer, Fortnite, what exactly is the difference, really? If you get your kid extra soccer lessons, nobody is going to say, oh, my God, why are you engaging in such a pointless pursuit and spending money on it? Right. Fortnite, I don't, you know, yeah, there's less exercise so me, involved. So let me make... But other me, than that, does it, is there that big a difference? Well, let me make I don't the, think so. Let me, make, let me play devil's advocate. Let me make the devil's ar- argument here for you. Okay. Somebody would say, given the, given the hypothesis you just created, the hypothetical situation, somebody would say, well, with a soccer coach, with a personal soccer coach, my child could get a scholarship to college... For oh, there soccer. will be Fortnite scholarships very soon. Come on. <laughs> so I, there are, I, we I already have so professional e-gaming. Yes, Come we on. have E3. We have the e-gaming Come championships on. at the Barclays Center. Yes, we have all of these things. Yes. We, have, we have South Korea, you know, and all of their e-markets. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I just... I or just you bypass... I just needed to put that one out you there. You bypass the scholarship thing entirely and just go pro when you're in high school uh, or before. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility for some of these kids, um, any of them that are good. I mean, really, this isn't, this isn't very dissimilar to a take that actually South Park played a few years ago with World of Warcraft, where the boys got into World of Warcraft so much that Stan's dad became addicted to World of Warcraft, right? Mm-hmm. As you mentioned, you know, dads want to be cool too. Mm-hmm. Dads want to be fulfilled by these things as well. And if we think they're just addictive to kids, they're not. They're, right, these, the, the screens are addictive to any human brain out there, moms right. and daughters included. I don't know why this particular article seems to take a sexist bend toward the whole thing, but that's their prerogative. Now, I've, I've even witnessed this addiction. Now, I, I mean, for me, if I were looking at my kid doing this, you know, it, it, it's, it's got to be a different look. And I, I want you to picture it yourself. It's got to be a different look if your kid is spending four hours a day playing a screen, playing a game on their phone, which many of these kids are actually just playing them on their phones, not even on, like, consoles and TVs, versus a kid kicking a soccer ball against a wall for four hours. It's a very different looking thing. You'll, you'll agree with me there so far? Right. Okay, now, now and this is where people are going to be like, oh, well, there, there's this social aspect. So the other, the other element here is that you're not just playing Fortnite by yourself, right? You're playing with your friends. You're playing with your siblings, right? Because you go at it as a team. Right. So I've even seen campers this summer playing Fortnite on the bus on their way to camp, talking through the screen at other campers on other buses playing on their way to camp as well. Right. I, I mean, that to me was just like, whoa, like next level. Like, we're not even talking about like staying up until two in the morning playing, which I can understand mm-hmm. a little bit more. We're talking about like 8 a.m. playing. Right. But that gives you an opening to say that this is as social, if not even more social, than going playing soccer after school. Right, but what? Right, right, and I, I, I think the other thing. So that, it's hardly, it's hardly a, a kid glassy-eyed staring at a screen all by himself. Which totally, is the, which is the old stereotype. Of which the is video the old game. stereotype, absolutely. Yeah, and and that and that argument was lame even back in the day right. when people right. had land parties least, and stuff. Right. So, but at least yeah. back then it really was at least a one-on-one. Back then it was closer, thing. right? Yeah. Um, um, and I, I think I think that's also what. I think we're sort of getting at too, which is the the thing about tweens, as we're calling them, and teens, because teens are playing this too, is that in that stage of life, in that in that pre-adolescent sort of latent stage of life, children become obsessive about things. It doesn't even matter what the things are, right? So it could be soccer. There's a lot of children out there that are obsessive about World Cup and soccer stats. It could be Fortnite. But mm-hmm. the point is, is that the way they approach the world is through this obsessive lens, and they can really only handle one thing in their life. 
And, and that thing, they'll eat, breathe, sleep, mm-hmm. and talk mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. thing to death. Right. And I think that's what we're saying here is that, like, you know, it's not that, uh, look, what? You want your kid to be good at it? Fine. Then you got to hire a tutor because otherwise they're going to be a fucking shit at it because your kid sucks, okay? So if you want them to be good at it, hire a tutor because all those hours of playing ain't working for them, Betsy. Get your head out of your ass. But the other thing that we're just saying is that, like, they're, they're going to be playing this shit. Like, there's, we're, we, there's no way of rolling back the clocks. They're going to be playing it, and they're going to be completely obsessive about it. So I guess when, in the end, they might as well be good at it. Mm-hmm. They might as well get some enjoyment out of it. Although, I guess the counter would be, if they sucked at it, maybe they'd stop fucking wasting their time. Right. And, you know, for, for anyone who says, well, this is really a, a waste of time and it's not a healthy activity as compared to, let's say, sports, which is what we were talking about, uh, I saw a recent article about a guy who has basically made a full-time job out of exposing, videotaping, well, he doesn't videotape, but he collects the videos of parents who are out of control on the sidelines of, of youth games uh-huh. and then, you know, posts the videos and shames them. That's, that's his whole... His whole thing is this for like blackmail or this is just for no? This is no. This is for public service. He is the white knight of youth sports. I'd actually respect him a lot more if it were blackmail. No. (laughs) Uh, And he's gotten a lot of publicity for you know being the guy who shows you just how ugly it's gotten and trying to somehow. I mean, he has other activities that involve policing, policing parents basically, Right, right, stopping parents from from. Going completely ballistic and literally attacking referees. Right. Beating up referees right. at games. I mean, just... Or just following them and harassing them and screaming at them until they, you know, they've left the parking David, lot or whatever. David, just... It's just, horrific. Apparently, just having watched... It's happening every minute out there in America. I, I not, not going to games myself. I should say out here since we're... Right. In the ranch land. Not yes. Going, not going to games myself because I don't have children. Um... But just from having experienced this stuff through seasons and seasons of Friday Night Tykes or Last Chance You or uh, Coach Snoop, now on Netflix, I can say with great confidence that everybody who is a part of these sports, everybody who's a part of the you know youth athletics, everybody knows it is an open fucking secret that... The parents are the problem. That, that, that parents will ruin everything. If right. given an inch, parents will ruin everything. Right. They will ruin their kids. They will ruin the experience. They will find themselves in jail. Like, and you, you can see these things. It is not hard. Even when they know they're being filmed, they can be completely monstrous. It's pretty amazing. Um, so we're going to move forward from... Uh, you know, the future of our society and uh, what we may be, may be seeing in years to come to uh, a little bit of regression, if you will. So this story is coming to us from uh, World. I, I have no idea where this place is. It's world.wng.org. Um, the headline is Capitalizing on Classical Education. The Association of Classical Christian Schools has seen a 20% increase over four years in the number of campuses using classical curriculum. During the last 10 years, the number of students attending ACCS member schools has grown 30%. Homeschoolers have also flocked to the classical movement, as have university model Christian schools. Uh, So everybody's moving towards classical is what this article is saying. They go on. David Goodwin, president of ACCS, describes the classical movement as plowing a whole new category of education. But that's created some challenges for classical school graduates transitioning into a more traditionally structured learning environment, especially when they go to take a college entrance exam. Both the ACT and SAT are designed to measure what students have learned in traditional public school classrooms. Well, I should say that this article doesn't say it, but I should say traditional public school classrooms and private school classrooms, right? I mean, they too, for the most part, follow the Common Core and are teaching two tests like the ACT and SATs. I will continue from the article. I assume. We assume. When the College Board announced plans in 2015 to revamp the SAT to more closely align with Common Core standards, 
Parents of classically educated students, especially homeschoolers, started looking for an alternative. Jeremy Tate, who at the time ran the SAT prep company, sympathized. You can, quote, you can imagine as a homeschool parent, if you've immersed your son or daughter in a classical curriculum for 15 years, and then the test that they're going to take, the ultimate high-stakes test, is totally disconnected from their academic formation, that would inherently be problematic, he told me. Tate now runs CLT, a company offering an alternative college entrance exam geared towards classically educated students. The CLT is designed to test aptitude, not just the acquisition of a certain set of facts. Well, I think the overall commentary would have to be womp womp. As in, too fucking bad if the test doesn't meet your, the criteria based on your alternative educational plan because no one asked you, told you, or set out any path for you to do that. Right. And then also having taken that path off into the hills and the far the far hills of the Shire. Right. Somehow arrive at the door of a college. Yeah. In the same way that right. those who took the well marked street have? Yeah. I mean you arrive where you arrive. Right. Now, if your classical curriculum is so fucking great, then it probably should not only give you a high score on the putative classical brand SAT, right. but it should also boost your SAT score in general. I mean, look, look, what are we talking about here? Yeah. What, is the, what does the SAT love? It loves vocabulary. Yes, it does. Well, what the, where the hell else are you going to get a fabulous vocabulary classics. except by studying the, studying the Greek classics. and Roman classics Absolutely. in translation? Absolutely. I mean, come on, people. yeah. yeah. This is special pleading of the worst order. Absolutely true. So like, like and yes, it sets a terrible precedent. Of course it does. Because let's say your next step is non uh, a religious non secular yeah curriculum uh-huh. straight through grade twelve uh-huh. emphasis on religion, not necessarily just your own religion, but maybe just because I don't know you. You're tight with Betsy DeVos. But let's say, you know, religion in general. Right. And its influence on culture. And maybe that's your emphasis. Yeah. So you're going to So we score, should have a test based you're on gonna, that. You're, you're going to score great on, you know, whatever. Uh, Catholic the, doctrine the, of the, of yeah, the, the, the God loves medieval me period. Yeah. Uh, you know, all kinds of other things. But under the First Amendment, are we really going to reward that? Right. Or are we going to make a special a special concession for that? I mean, I, how and how many special concessions are we going to make on this slippery slope that I, we're I, now sliding I, down? Yeah, I, I can't help but see that very special kind of irony of this notion that, well, we decided to opt out for 15 years. For 15 years, we could give a fuck about you your traditional out. education. You opted aside. Well, you opted aside. You opted, no, but you opted out of the norm. As you said, you opted out of the well-trodden path that is given to you, that is granted to you and your family. And then, after all that time, you want a special window. The door to higher education is open for you. It's waiting there. But instead, you want a window to be opened that your child can just sort of sneak through. Right. You know, um, and furthermore, I, I, I think I, I, I want to just back up and say that I'm not a big fan of the ACT or the SAT. No. In that they, they don't test aptitude, in that they are, they are just a test designed to be a test, right? And, and I don't personally agree with that model. I never have. You know, in fact, I went to a school that didn't require... SAT scores from me because I strictly don't believe in them. However, you are not supposed to be an achievement test. However, really are an achievement test. Okay. That being said, that being said, it is not as though schools do teach to the test. In fact, if my school taught me to the test, I would have gotten a far better SAT score because I was a fairly good student. So, Mm -hmm. so to say that. There isn't time in your busy-ass homeschooling schedule to go through some analogies, right? 
to go through some basic fucking math. And if you have the freedom to tailor your curriculum, then you also have the freedom to tack on whatever you, in the way of SAT prep or anything else you want. And David, David, in, in most states where we're seeing a rise in homeschooling and in most states where the homeschooling, you know, bandwagon is really pushing back on any kind of governmental authority stepping in, there is no oversight whatsoever for these people. Okay? Less and so, less. So we don't know what they're teaching. Yeah, we're saying there's a big rise in this, you know, tradi- in this, uh, sorry, in this classics education. But that, I, I don't know what they're coming out with. I mean, it, it, it's, it's baffling to me that, that they're even concerned with college entrance. Anyway, I continue. Uh, so apparently, uh, this is now, you'll be shocked to hear, being accepted by some colleges. <clears throat> Tate goes on, our hope with this CLT is not only to offer a better standard to put kids in front of really, really good, rich content, but also to have a test that can help to refocus curriculum on the humanities, Tate said. During the 2017-18 school year, 10,000 students took the test. Next year, Tate expects 35,000 to sit for the CLT. Most of those will take it as part of a high school assessment process, but they can also submit it to any of 117 universities that now accept the test as an alternative to the SAT or ACT. Administrators at Cedarville University in West Central Ohio agreed to accept the test after hearing about it from homeschool parents. Now, they say 117 universities, and then they only name one, which is Cedarville University. Care to take a guess at what kind of curriculum Cedarville runs? Mm, Christian? Pretty Christian. Pretty fucking Christian. Uh, their their well, tagline... are at least 117 Christian colleges. Cedarville's tagline, so. David, is be bold, pursue your passion, proclaim Christ. I Pretty think Christian. if we had that list of 117, we would see a list of just... A fraction of the Christian <laughs> colleges so, so in we're North saying, America. We're saying not even all the Christian colleges no, will necessarily support this no, backwards it's more than 117. <laughs> and, you know, that's assuming that there are no secular colleges filtered in there. There may be a few. There might be, right. Again, they're not listing them, and I think it's, you know, pretty... And they're not linked anywhere here. Right. Uh, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty professionally done. Um... So, yeah, we're, we're calling complete bunk on this one. Um, again, I mean, if you, if, you, if you want to homeschool your child, by all means, homeschool them right through college. Homeschool them right to a master's degree. I, I, I don't care. I don't know how you get accreditation in your garage for that, but really, just keep them. Just keep them. I don't really <laughs> want to see them at work. And, uh, yeah, just do us all a favor. Um, I think we should. Uh, what's the What's the famous uh, preschool from England? Summer, um, uh, Summerhill. Yes, I think we should we should construct a Summerhill aptitude test okay. for kids who went to that kind of school. Oh yeah, for kids who went to hippy dippy school. And of it'll course. include things like farm chores. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen. I I think astrology. I think David that what we should do is we should look back at everybody's schooling, right? Maybe they went to, let's say student, let's say Jimmy. Jimmy went to a progressive elementary school, a traditional middle school, and then a free high school, like you're talking about, with Mm -hmm. no curriculum. He took classes about the wire Mm -hmm. and about uh, high lie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, high lie was was the sport that he played in Mm -hmm. in high school. Um, And I think that we should tailor a test to Jimmy, right? We should base it only on the things that he learned in right. those institutions. And I think that's the way it should be for everybody. Everybody should get their own personal test, right? Yeah. And I think that's the fairest and for way. Students, and for students who went to, who, who lived in deprived areas and went to substandard schools. Right. With, you know, too many students and... Who were hungry all the time. And, right. and, you know, of, at, at risk for, violence. yeah, yeah, at risk for violence. They should, yeah. they should have their own test as well. They absolutely should. Yeah, yeah. Their Taylor test is, too. yeah, maybe their test is more of a Bear Grylls style test, you know, it's sort of like a survive in Compton <laughs> for the weekend, and if you make it out, you get, you get 1800, 
You know, you're good. You're solid. Yeah, I mean, it, it would include, yeah, skills like running from gangs. Absolutely, yes, That yes. kind of thing. Yeah, staying clear of gangs is, is a big one on there. Um, Stealing a bike and getting out of enemy territory quickly. Right, 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 right. Um, how, to, how to make change uh, with a bodega cashier in which you come out with more than you purchased. Right, right. Um, You know, little sleight of hand tricks like that. Yeah. How about three-card Monty? I mean, I know that's a throwback, but, you know. Right. Street and to games. Be, to, be a little, to be a little more fair to our student, you know, uh, one of the skills that should be rewarded is uh, uh, learning things in an environment where, you know, the teacher isn't necessarily in, that interested in you learning and, and the other students are disrupting you. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really glad so, that you, you said know, that. Focus. I'm really glad that you said that because we're going to get to a story just after the break that has to do all about interesting and diverse learning environments um, and teachers and even even executive officers who could give a fucking shit about your education. So more of that after the break. And uh, of course, the snack report. We'll see you on the other side. All right. Good morning, boys and girls. Today, we'll be learning all about Dull Crayon. <laughs> Boys, I'm your host Gabriel Zuger, joined by my father today, David, coming to you live from the bunker, live and crunchy, live and crunchy with another edition of the Snack Report. Now, this Snack Report has a short story to preface it. You'll recall from the now infamous Snack Bracket this past March during March Madness that Oreo had a number of great players in the field. Uh, players that failed to live up to their potential, including apple pie and Ugh. and cinnamon. Ugh. And they were some of the worst things I can say I ever put in my mouth, David. Sound bad? <clears throat> I guess they were bad. And, and Oreo has sort of a tendency to do this, I think really more than many other players in the game right now. Um... They come out with new varieties every six weeks, and rarely are any of them, you know, worth the three twenty-five that it costs for a package or whatever it costs. Now, what we bring you today is different, very different indeed. This is the chocolate peanut butter pie Oreo, which comes on a graham cracker cookie, both sides, graham cracker cookie, sort of a blondie style, and in the center it is filled by half peanut butter and half chocolate filling. David, your thoughts? So first of all, it looks like a blonde Oreo. Yes, which they do make. They do have like a blondie Oreo. Okay, and then what's the filling on the blondie? I think the filling is... Is your white cream? N yeah, no, the filling I think is, uh, it's like a buttercream or something. Like it's, it's uh, supposed to, you know, match, uh, I don't know. Match the blondiness. Yeah, the match the blondiness of it, exactly. All right, well, first of all, the cookie itself, just by itself, is very good. It's very good. It's, it's, it's super grammy and, and yet kind of Oreo-y at the same time. Yes, it's a lighter Oreo. Yeah. Continue. Second, of course, well, you, you have to be a fan of chocolate and peanut butter. There are people who don't like chocolate and peanut butter. I don't believe you. I, no, I think, I, it's, mean, I think it's a well-known fact. There are people who don't anti... like chocolate, and there are people who don't like peanut butter, and there but are, I don't believe there's anybody I believe that doesn't like many, peanut butter in their chocolate. Many people who like peanut butter and chocolate and don't believe they, they belong together in any, in any way, shape, or form. And and they've and they've seen the famous. I believe commercial. it's an organized. You got community. chocolate in my peanut butter. No, it's an it's an organized community. Believe me, <laughs> it's an organization. The anti yes, the anti. Well, they're you know they're basically boycotting Reese's. The anti PB and C community. They're not fans of Reese's. They never want to see ET again ever. Who doesn't like Reese's? And no, ET? I'm telling you. I'm I telling am. you. Come on, this is. But breaking anyway, my heart. anyway, Continue. I believe that chocolate and peanut butter taste great together. So. 
Okay. Right, right. There and was a there was a flavor of Ben and Jerry's, as I recall, that was that had, I believe, had chocolate and peanut butter together. That was also very good. Uh, you may you may very well be onto something. Anyway, this now. is very good. This is very good. So Oreo is really hitting it out of the park on this one. I mean, again, I I I'll never stop going back to the Oreo. Well, they're they're so creative in what they do. But I do, at times, pick them up off the shelves, and I absolutely dread buying anything from them for the purposes of the report. But in this case, I just, it's gangbusters. So the question is, why did they waste months, years, maybe decades doing things like, what did you say? Cinnamon, apple pie? Apple pie. When this obvious combination cake. was sitting there. I don't even know what birthday cake tastes like. I think obvious they have one combination. with, like, Pop Rocks in it. They've got coconut. They've got, they've got some really heinous things out there. They um, already had a chocolate cookie on the outside. They could have simply put chocolate and peanut butter on the inside. Really? And called it a day. I mean, really, let's also get sort of back to basics. I mean, the fun of the snack report is to bring you interesting snacks and see what's going on out there. But really, let's, let's break it down for you, Oreo. You were winning with the Oreo, so much so that competitors were coming out with their own now famous ripoffs, Hydrox, and um, then whatever ripped off Hydrox. Didn't we establish that Hydrox was actually older than Oreo? Oh, I think I think you might be right there. Um, anyway. But you, you really hit it out of the park with Oreo. Then you had the double stuffed Oreo. Double stuffed was fine. Double stuffed was great. Everybody loves the double stuffed. That's pretty much all you need to do. I really don't think they ever needed to do anything ex- ex- else except just, like, show us more commercials of, like, people, you know, twisting the top off an Oreo. Like, you know, that that was a lot of fun. Right. But they've definitely made an advance right here. They have. They have. Uh, now, I, I didn't want to start things off this way, but I'd be remiss if we didn't do a, a modicum of a whiskey report, uh, just just given, given the fines of the day, David. Um, so I, I did... Uh, returned to the bunker today and, and down the very, very lengthy ladder. Um, you really ought to consider installing a light in the, in the ladder shaft, David. It, it would really help things along. Um, but I did come bearing gifts, and I have brought um, what, what I referred to as the, uh, the liquor version of Voltron. Point uh, of order. Point, point of, of order. order. Hydrox 1908. Oreo 1912, inspired by the Hydrox. Inspired by the Hydrox. Unbelievable. Thank you, Wikipedia. Unbelievable. I, I mean, anyway, the the fact that you know, Oreo isn't isn't paying ninety nine cents for every dollar directly to Hydrox is maybe they are. It it seems like it would be a maybe crime. they're such marketing geniuses that they've managed to <laughs> occupy all the intellectual space and make money, even though they were second. I, I would definitely believe I would definitely believe that they're paying alimony to Hydrox on a regular basis. This could be like Betamax and VHS. You know, right. VHS right. was second; they weren't as good, but Betamax right. died. But Betamax died, exactly. and Hydrox is a perpetual runner-up. Right. Um, anyway, but back to the liquor report. Uh, I do have the the Voltron of liquors, which is uh, my 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 three mini Wellers. Now, none of these are the William. T. Weller, I believe is the full name, um, which is a, you know, $500,000, dollars bottle. Um, William can... LaRue. William LaRue Weller, sorry. But I do have here a bottle of the Weller Special Reserve, the Weller Antique, and the Weller 12-year. And David, I spent under $100 for all three of them combined. Now, I want to I address this And the to latest you. one is a liter. I want, and the latest a one is a leader. among whiskeys. I want to address this to you in particular, coming from New York and, and understanding at least a little bit about the New York marketplace. David, I spent $35 on the Weller 12, okay? This is the Weller age 12 year, the original weeded bourbon. $35 here in Colorado, an undisclosed location. Do you want to take a guess at what the average price of the Weller 12 in New York would be? I have no idea. Why don't you take a guess? 50? Surely you would think that 50 would be reasonable given that it costs $35 out here. Go higher. And where does it come from? Go higher. Wait, where does it come from? Kentucky. Okay, so equidistant, really. Okay. Higher, huh? Yeah, 60, try again. 65? Try again. 
80. Uh, you're missing a digit. Oh my god. 180? Yes. Actually, Seriously? it is about $185 on average. So, just to give you a sense of the New York marketplace versus every other motherfucker in the world. $35 here, $185 in New York, if you can even find it. And it's pretty tasty stuff, wouldn't you say? It's incredibly tasty. But over five times markup? Um, yep. That's bourbon in a know. nutshell for you today. I don't know how they justify that. We don't know how at all. Um, Wait, but shouldn't there be an active uh, smuggling operation from wherever the stuff is, $35 a bottle, taking it, you know, the way that cigarettes are are uh, smuggled from uh, low-tax states I mean, into there, New York State? I mean, there, there certainly should be. I just sort of imagine that at some point you you run across a paradox not unlike the famous bottle recycling episode of Seinfeld, whereupon you're paying so much for gas and tolls right. to get from to get your items and like renting a truck to get your items from one place to another that it doesn't even out, right? Because if I went and I took a truck from Colorado to New York, I couldn't then sell this stuff for $35 anymore. That's I, true. I've got to be taking something back on it. I mean, that's that's, that's the secondary market. Secondary market's a bitch. Uh, but I promised before the break that we would talk about um, some true uh, depravity here in the United States, um, and especially in our classrooms. And this, I think, will be the height of it. Um, this coming from MetroTimes.com, the Detroit Metro Times, okay, uh, as of July 2nd. On Friday, dumped out with the least desirable news of the week, came word that a lawsuit arguing that Detroit students were being denied an education has been dismissed. Perhaps you remember the case. MT presented a cover story about it last year. With the help of a public interest law firm, a handful of Detroit students charged in federal court that educational officials in Michigan, including Governor Rick Snyder, denied them access to an education of any quality. The lawsuit took pains to illustrate how Detroit schools, run under a state-appointed emergency manager, were a welter of dysfunction. Overcrowded classrooms, lack of textbooks and basic materials, unqualified staff, leaking roofs, broken windows, black mold, contaminated drinking water, rodents, no pens, no paper, no toilet paper, and unsafe temperatures that had classes canceled due to 90 degree heat or classrooms so cold that students could see their breath. So without even going any further uh, with regards to the lawsuit or with regards to what was happening in those classrooms or in those schools, a pretty bad situation we're gonna say there in uh, Detroit public schools. Wouldn't you agree? Has been for a number of years. Has been Don't for a forget, number of years. The city was bankrupt. Yep. And city was bankrupt, which is why we're in, uh, you know, this, uh, what did they call it? Emergency, emergency manager Right, but the situation. city has emerged from bankruptcy, leaving apparently the school system behind. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but taking, taking, you know, polluted water with it. Um, right. they're, they're, they're throwing out the baby, but they're keeping the tainted bathwater. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it goes on. Uh, you, you'd imagine it couldn't get much worse from there, from not having pens, paper, toilet paper, or qualified staff, and breathing in uh, black mold and drinking tainted water. You'd think it couldn't get worse from there. But wait, there's more. At times, without teachers or instructional materials, students were simply herded into rooms and asked to watch videos. One student claimed to have learned all the words to the film Frozen in high school. The lawsuit even mentions one 8th grade student who taught a 7th and 8th grade math class for a month because no teacher could be found. So now we have children watching Disney in high school and children teaching children in middle school. Mm -hmm. Okay, seems appropriate. Now we get back to the lawsuit. We had described such teaching methods as a sort of, quote, throw, throw a book at them and hope they learn something method of education, only without the book to throw. <laughs> Students cannot be expected to learn when they are simply warehoused for seven hours a day in an unsafe, 
degrading, and chaotic environment that is a school in name only. It is hardly surprising that at the plaintiff's schools, uh, which serve almost exclusively low-income children of color, almost 99% of the students were unable to achieve proficiency in state-mandated subjects. Last year, the state moved for dismissal, arguing that the 14th Amendment contains no reference to literacy. Then last week, U.S. District Judge Stephen Murphy III agreed with the state. Literacy is important, the judge noted, but the students enjoy no right to access to being taught literacy. All the state has to do is make sure schools run. If they are unable to educate their students, that's a shame, but court rulings have not established that access to literacy is a fundamental right. Well, let me be devil's advocate here and say there may be a, a strict uh, 14th Amendment ruling here that makes sense. Because if that's what 14th Amendment guarantees uh, all citizens equal rights. Right. Um, okay. It's mo mainly understood as legal rights. Okay. The right of representation, um, rule of law, criminal procedure, etc. Okay. It isn't usually understood as having any reference to education. Now, there are many states, maybe not many, but there are definitely states that have written into their constitution the right to an education, not just the right to go to school, but that, in fact, the state guarantees to its citizens an education, at least uh -huh. to a certain level. Uh -huh. So if you're arguing on the basis of a state constitution that does so, and I think New York State actually is one, and I think there's been a suit that was won some years ago on the basis of you know, many communities not having equal access to education as, mm -hmm. as the state constitution mandated, um, then that's your argument. But to say that the federal constitution guarantees equal access to education, I don't see that. But David, let's I don't, let's, I don't think it's there. I understand what you're saying. It, and, maybe it and, should be there. Right, right, right. I understand what you're Similar saying. Similar to, to the point. fact that the constitution does not guarantee the right to vote. Right. We, we can get... We can it get should. To, I, I want to get back to that point. But I it do. doesn't. I want to get back to both of those points. But before we do, let's not mince words here. This is... The state of Michigan throwing up its hands essentially because they just can't afford to do it. That's really what we're saying, is it not? We started this off by saying the state of Michigan went bankrupt. Okay, I think at the end of the day, if you ask this judge, if you ask the governor, if you ask anybody in the state of Michigan in a position of authority, if you could afford to educate your children, would you? They would say yes. This is just a way of skirting the fact that they seem to think, for whatever fucked up reason, that they can't afford to educate their children. Okay, that's gonna be my first thing. My second thing is gonna be that I would have to argue that the school is not running, okay? If, if technically all they have to do is run the school, having classrooms with no teachers for extended periods of time is not running a school. That's a school that actually should be shut down during that time because it is non-functional. I can see that argument. And by definition, then, they would not be given their 14th Amendment right. Right. I don't think they're arguing that they, that they can't afford to educate children. No, uh, they don't. No, no, no. They're not arguing it. They don't want to say it. So instead, they're hiding no, I, I, behind I'm I don't the lack of I don't protection think, given in the 14th Amendment. I'm saying I don't think that's what they're saying even to themselves. I think what they're saying to themselves is... We're trying to do a decent job here. We know we're doing a terrible job. We don't want a court to oversee the terrible job that we're doing and give us orders. We, we fully intend somehow to, fi to fix this situation through right. political means. Now, are they going to do that? No. No. But I think that they... They've shown no intention of doing they, that. They, they sincerely uh, want the courts to stay... Out of to it. stay the fuck out of it. Right. Right. Get out of my back pocket, but also, you know... And guess what? We have this great plan that next. will save these schools. It's called Betsy DeVos's Charter Schools from it's Hell Plan. Charters. 
I mean, this is Michigan, and that's part of the reason that those schools are in such horrible. I was shit. gonna say no. I was gonna say so. Betsy, Betsy stuck her own grubby hands into Michigan, as we know, years ago with vouchers and charters and school choice, and completely wrecked them. Uh, Michigan, we. I would also like to point out for those that forget, is also responsible for electing Donald Trump almost solely. <laughs> Right, well, because certainly they had a big part. Without Michigan and Pennsylvania's electoral votes, it's a very different 2016. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, they're, they're a state that really knows what the fuck it's doing. That's um, right. Flint, Detroit schools, <laughs> electoral votes for Donald Trump, Betsy DeVos. What else can we throw in there? I, I don't know. It's a parade of horrors. I don't know. White flight... Uh, you've, you've just, I'm embarrassed to have been born there. You've really got it all. You've really got it all going on. Um, I think it could only be better off if it just up and slid itself into the Great Lakes. Just took the whole land. They did give us Michael it. Moore though. So. Uh, yes, they did. Now on Broadway. I think that's a positive. Um, but I, I just, I, David, again, you being from Detroit and and knowing Detroit uh, quite well myself. I guess I was just, I was shocked at how bad it's gotten. I mean, that's literally, I brought up The Wire earlier this episode. That's not even shit you see in the fourth season of The Wire, right? In the school season of The Wire. Right. This is shit beyond the stuff they can make up on HBO. Well... You know, imagine you have Baltimore as depicted in the wire, and then you then you make Baltimore bankrupt, so they don't have any money for schools anymore. I mean, it's what do you come up with? It's just, it's just unbelievable. Uh, back to this Fourteenth Amendment argument, though. I mean, because and you're you're pointing out that there are that there are states who then take it upon themselves to write in their own constitutions some sort of educational benchmarks but i just think it's well, I don't it's know if quite they have benchmarks but they have guarantees but they have guarantees but it's it's quite humorous to me to read the statement um, that uh, Students enjoy no right to access to being taught literacy. All a state has to do is make sure schools run. I mean, I just... It's I, kind I of the Dred the Scott of school decisions, isn't it? I, I laugh at the it? notion that I, I could sit there in a classroom, you know, reading a newspaper, as, as, you know, we've heard horror stories of teachers doing in the past, and saying, hey, I'm doing my job. You know, I got here. I unlocked the door. The school is running, you know, but, I, you know, I don't care if you're failing. Like, that's not your right. That's just hysterical to me. Um, and, yeah, what, what the fuck with the 14th Amendment? I mean, to quote Hamilton, you know, uh, freedom is, you know, a totally fucking contradictory experience and more complicated and fucked up than really anybody ever anticipated. But the, 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 the more I find out about the gaping holes in our constitution that just, you know, refuse to be filled, uh, even when we have, you know, a number of amendments that have sat on the docket, you know, waiting to be voted upon, including, you know, women's rights uh, for decades and generations. It, it's just astounding to me that uh, we still seem to think we're functioning as a country. We're not. This is complete floundering. On every level. You obviously don't understand. The Constitution is a... Um, a, a living a living document? No, no. It's a vintage item. It's like <laughs> something you buy in an antique store. You don't add stuff to it. David, you that's the definition of it. an amendment. You just the polish it. The definition of an amendment is an addition. You dust it. You treat it very nicely. You take photos of it. You don't change it. Well, I do, What's wrong with you? I do, I do hear tell that there is a map written on the back of it, though. And that if you dust yeah, it quite properly, Cage. if you dust it quite properly, you can uncover a national treasure. A limited number of state constitutions explicitly recognize education to be a fundamental right, entitling all students to the same quality of education, regardless of neighborhood or income. So, again, that even that would only entitle them all to a to a miserable quality of, of education if that's what the state was providing. But um, 
Other state constitutions require the provision of education services by the state without conveying a right to students. Mm -hmm. Others barely address education at all. As a result, American education has developed into a hodgepodge quilt of different rights, access, and quality standards that depend entirely upon where children live. Well, we knew that. Again, I, 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 then, then I'll, I'll hearken back to the humorous arguments whenever education is brought up as, an, as a political baton to be passed back and forth in debates in election years, that uh, politicians always want to argue, oh, we're, we're failing in this, you know, we need to step up on the, on the world stage for math and literacy and science, you know, because we're sliding back into, you know, countries that we don't want to be behind. And it's like, yeah, but then you're not, you're not actually doing anything about them because we're not even guaranteeing state to state that you're getting any kind of quality education. I mean, we're not. Right. And it's still, as, as that just said, a hodgepodge because we are 50 independent states. We're not united in the slightest way. Well, you know, I might actually backtrack on my argument and say that if, if you can make the case in court that the state is providing quality education to most of its students, except in the Detroit schools, and then in the Detroit schools it's, it is... Uh, delivering uh, nothing, basically. Nothing. Then, in fact, equal rights are being denied. You either have to bring the rest of the state down to that standard, which will then bring you into compliance. So, again. Or bring those students up. Again, David, when I made the point to you before that a teacher not being in a class for months on end does not technically count as running, then what I would argue would be, all right, judge, if you're going to say that running is the definition, then the definition has to be that the doors to the school are open, right? And that all, like, safety is in place, basically, right? That, like, children can be there. Which you can't even argue with. And there's you no can't teacher even, in this classroom. No, right, which you can't even argue then. But then to say that there are rodents in the school and pestilence, to say that there is no clean drinking water, to say that on 90 degree days or especially cold days, they close school altogether because they don't have heating or cooling systems in place, right. then again, you're not saying you're running a goddamn motherfucking school. Right. You're not even running, you know, a, a, I don't know. You're not even running a shelter of any kind. Right. Literal homeless people would be fleeing your fucking building well, because it's disgusting. Homeless people seeking a shelter usually expect heat in the winter and cooling in the summer. Right? And the potentiality of toilet paper yeah. and water. Right. And not being bitten by huge fucking rats. Right. All right. Not to end Clearly on... the courts in Michigan are not going to provide us with any relief from this situation. Not to Someone end else is going to such a note. That. Yes. Well, I want to bring us now to some levity. We go now to Top Chef. If you peek inside the refrigerator that belongs to Gail Simmons, you'll see that the cookbook author and Bravo's Top Chef judge loves to eat healthy and clean food most of the time. She packs her fridge to the gills with fresh fruit and vegetables, lean proteins and staples like eggs and maple syrup from Canada where she was born. But she admittedly has a weakness for some snack foods from her homeland, including potato chips and candy bars. Ready for another installment of Gail's favorite Canadian snack foods, she wrote in her Instagram stories? Good. She started off by showing two potato chip brands that are familiar to the United States, Lay's and Ruffles, but they've each developed unique flavors for the Canadian market. We can totally envision why Gail loves the ketchup version of Lay's, we're guessing they probably taste like dipping french fries into, a t into the tomato condiment. She also loves the all-dressed variety of ruffles, which have ketchup, vinegar, barbecue, sour cream, and onion, and other flavorings on it, and are now also available stateside. Wait, Her all of those on the same chip? On the same chip! Yikes. Her daughter loves Smarties, which are similar to M&Ms with bright colors, but Gail is still faithful to Coffee Crisp, which she calls quite possibly the best candy bar of all time. 
If you don't know, now you know. Coffee Crisp has a limited U.S. production run, but that's can a, still uh, be ordered via state sites like Amazon. That's a Cadbury product, correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. I believe both of them. Uh, no, sorry. Smarties is Nestle. No, uh, but Coffee Crisp is Coffee Cadbury. Crisp says it is Nestle also. They, really? Canada, Canada is, and we're going to get to this because, David, you have a familiarity Canada. with Canadian products. Um, Canada does also have a fine quantity of Cadbury products coming to them straight from the UK, yep. which is why you would have guessed that Coffee Crisp was Cadbury. Hmm. Um, but yes, I bring this up because, uh, like Gail's daughter, I too was once hand-delivered snacks from Canada by a parental figure, uh, and that would be my co-host for the day, David. Now, you would go there uh, on visits to Grandma Ruth, and you would bring me back. I mean, I never received uh, these all-dressed potato chips or ketchup chips. God, no. But I fucking Just loved, candy. I fucking loved candy. <laughs> so I would get Smarties. I would definitely get Coffee Crisp. There were definitely, like... Five other toffee and chocolate-based bars that came on occasion. Mm, yes, the dairy milks. Oh, and yeah, the, uh, dairy milks. There was one, some filled one also that they have. And Absolutely. I yes. mean, there were a ton of these things. You yes. know, I mean, I, I, you know, I really mainly just bring this up to say that, like, you know, Canada gets a lot of shit, the neighbor to the north, but they're... There's, there's a lot that's that's being offered up there, especially in the way of snacks and candy. Well, also in snacks, you know, the, the taste buds are slightly different because don't forget, they they like they like chips. That is, they like mm. uh, French fries. That's they what like them. chips, yeah. But they like them with vinegar. The first choice in Canada to put on your French fries which is not ketchup. It's vinegar. Which, again, I would hearken back to their European roots as a, an English and French colony at various True. times. Because fish and chips right. in England are enjoyed with malted vinegar. Yes. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, now, now their other love of chips goes to poutine, though, which I believe is their own concoction. Right. Um, again... Canada getting it done in a big way on their fucking snacks, right? And anybody now they're not so backward as to call fries chips and no. chips crisps, which right. is very confusing, and we don't want to go there, <laughs> right? Or cookies biscuits, but they do have different tastes clearly when it comes to chips, um, real chips that is chip chips. And they've they've also got their their coffee and and donut game down too for for a country that runs on Dunkin'. Uh, People need to step over and check out the, the Tim Hortons menu. <laughs> right. People love their Tim Hortons. Uh, but anyway, just always Although I have to say their coffee isn't anything to write home about. Always, always good fun home to, to see prominent Canadian-American citizens in positions of celebrity, you know, reminding us of their now great homeland, Canada. Uh, so again, shout-outs to Trebek and... Shatner to Gail Simmons, Sons and Daughters of Canada. I, I'd also like to note I have a personal... All the entire cast of every season of Saturday Night Live. Personal connection to Gail Simmons, who I uh, dine with once a year at Yom Kippur at a mutual friend's house. All um, right. So this shout-out, shout-out to Gail. After Yom Kippur, you mean? Shout-out to Jessica, shout-out to Billy, uh, and, and all the gang there. Um, yes, after fast, after fasting. Um, but I think that's going to be the note we go out on, David. How do you feel? Sounds great. Let's Sounds get great. more snacks. Let's get more snacks. <laughs> Let's get some Canadian snacks. Uh, we'll, we'll or have some to of get... these, these, uh, rawhide Western snacks we got out here. I would love to get a, a more Southwestern snack, uh, topic going. Love to do some international snacking. Uh, we'll make it happen next time on the Dolcrans. And David, I almost forgot... We plug the Patreon for us. Well, if you want to support Dull Crayons, you should go to what? Patreon.com slash Dull Crayons. D-U-L-L-C-R-A-Y-O-N-S. That's right. And you can be a $1 supporter, a $3 supporter, a $5 supporter. If you're a $5 supporter, you will get your name uh, shouted out live here on the podcast. And I will remember to do that at the very top of the podcast so that people aren't waiting all episode for their names to come out. 
Um, but please do stop by. Please just take a look at it. Uh, I really put a lot of work into it. I think there's a lot of funny stuff out there. Um, we will have more offerings to come. Um, and we, we do appreciate your support in keeping us ad-free and totally 100% independent. And go to iTunes and write a review. Go to iTunes, write a review, write into us at dullcrans at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow the hashtag dullcrans on Instagram. And uh, yeah, please, please do everything you can. Sign somebody else up for a subscription, you know. Again, sign grandma up, sign them all up. Go on to computers at the library and just smash that like button. And that's going to do it for us. We will catch you on the flippity. Okay. Say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie.